0: Well, good morning, everyone, and again, Merry Christmas. It's a blessing to be with you all today uh, to worship and to celebrate the arrival of our King. For those of you who might be checking us out for the first time, maybe you're newer to our gathering, uh, I just want to say a welcome to you as well. My name is James. I serve as the lead pastor of this gathering, and it's just a joy uh, to have you join us here today. One of the big themes of this season is the idea of hope, hope. And for me, uh, hope is a really personal thing. For a large portion of my life, uh, I really struggled uh, with the idea of hope. I was searching for hope. Uh, I desired hope. But I just couldn't find it. A lot of you know my story, uh, but I actually spent the majority of my childhood and all of my teenage years hopeless, uh, deeply depressed, searching. And so having hope is a really deeply personal thing for me. But I think hope is a a relevant topic for most of us and our society, isn't it? I mean, one of the most uh, watched and beloved movies of all time, certainly one of my favorites. It's the first Star Wars movie that was ever made. And what's it called? A New Hope. A New Hope. See, we all want hope. We all desire hope. We need hope. And we actually expect hope. I read one person say it this way just this past week. He said, we as people can live 40 days without food, eight days with no water, four minutes with no oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. We cannot live without hope. And that's why we so eagerly search for it. We look for hope in our careers. We search for hope in, in people and in relationships. Some of us try to find hope in our money and our status or our achievements. And if you've ever been there and done that, you know that every time, in the end, it only leads to disappointment. We always end up hopeless in a weary world, maybe even asking ourselves and wondering, is there actually anything worth living for at all? There have been a lot of opportunities for hopelessness this year, a lot of unrest, a lot of confusion, sense of loss, a lot of emptiness, and maybe some of you are there right now. You're looking for hope. You want to find hope, maybe for the first time. Or maybe you want back a hope that was lost. Well, as we always do here, we turn to the Bible, God's word, and the Lord for our answers. But before we jump into our main text today, let me set the overall scene for you. At the time of Jesus' birth, we find ourselves in a time of hopelessness. The nation of Israel, a, a people who should have been most hopeful, are in a period of darkness, a period of silence. Things are dim for them. The Old Testament of our Bibles closes with the book of Malachi and with a prophecy, a prediction, a promise that the Son of Righteousness was coming, and that he would rise with healing in his wings. It was a promise that a Savior was coming, a light was coming to pierce through the darkness. And yet, 40 years or so passed by, and there is silence. And this nation, the Israelites, who were God's chosen people, I don't know how to say this other than to say they were just a total mess, a mess. Many were, were deep in sin, having basically turned their backs on God. They were just ignoring God. And those who were religious had basically turned to legalism or, on the other side, some form of liberal theology. And so while there existed during this time some religious zeal, some passion, or some religious duty, The people's hearts, we know, the people's hearts were far from God. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, we also know these people were deeply oppressed. They were oppressed, living under the rule of a Roman government and the wicked and evil king Herod. And again, the word of the Lord at this time was silent. It was a dark and despairing time. But as we open up the scriptures today to Luke chapter 2, we know that hope has come. Promises were given to Zacharias, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary that the Savior was coming. Angels have rejoiced and praised God for this soon-to-be arrival. Shepherds and wise men had gone to Bethlehem to see the promised king, And in chapter 2, verse 11 of Luke's gospel, we read this. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We see that Jesus was born. And so that's the backdrop for our text today. We are in a time of hopelessness, but Jesus was born. And with that, let me invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 21 Luke chapter 2 verse 21 And as we turn here we're going to see the scene shifts from Bethlehem to Jerusalem from the baby being born in a manger to now the baby being taken to the temple and this is what our text says for today On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child he was named Jesus Pigeons. So we see here in this text a brief account of Mary and Joseph fulfilling the Old Testament law. As was custom and required under the law, eight days after Jesus is born, he was circumcised. And on that same day, he is also given the name Jesus, which is, we know, the name that the angel Gabriel had given to Mary. And then after that, Mary, Joseph, and this baby Jesus go to Jerusalem. They go to the temple to again fulfill the law. And they needed to be there. They needed to be at the temple for two reasons. Two reasons. First of all, as was required by the law, an offering needed to be made for every firstborn son. We know that it was a payment of five shekels given to the temple, given to the Lord, to symbolize a a buying back or a redeeming of your son, your firstborn son, since every firstborn male child in Israel belonged to the Lord. Okay, This was taken from Exodus and the Passover account. So they're there for that reason. But they were also there for the purification of Mary. A sacrifice had to be made for her as well. You see, after a woman had given birth in Israel, she was considered ceremonially unclean and therefore could not enter the temple. And so uh, the requirement was to go to the temple courts uh, to offer a lamb, or if you were poor, to offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And then after you did that, the priest would cleanse you so that you once again had access to the temple And therefore, access to God and access to God's people. And this typically happened 40 days or so after giving birth. And so that's why Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple. That's why they're there. And it's worth noting this because what this tells us, it tells us a few things. First of all, it tells us that Jesus was born into a very common family. They weren't some rich, wealthy family. They actually, uh, we see here, they don't sacrifice the lamb. They sacrifice the two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so this is just a common family. But it also tells us that this is a God-fearing family. Jesus was born under a God-fearing family who prioritized the law, who kept God's word. But not only that, what this tells us is that Jesus was born under the law and kept the law perfectly from the day he was born. He was the perfect man. From the day he was born till his last breath, he was the perfect man, which is critical. And we'll talk about that briefly in a little bit. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are in the temple. And then we're introduced to someone else that's arrived at the temple as well. We see this starting in verse 25. Look at what God's word says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So we're introduced to this man named Simeon, and we don't know much about him other than what's written here. We don't know his age, although it seems like he is quite old. We don't know his job. We don't know what he looked like. We don't know his social status. We only know a few things about him. First of all, we again see in verse 25 that he was righteous, simply uh, meaning that he was in right standing with God. Simeon believed and trusted in the Lord. We also see here from the text that Simeon was devout. He was devout, meaning he actually lived out his faith. The word devout there actually means uh, cautious, to be cautious, and so What what the text is saying here is that Simeon paid close attention to God's word and he was careful to keep it, careful, cautious to obey it. And so what we know about Simeon is, is simple. Simeon feared God and he lived for God. And then Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was on him which means that he was a man that was guided by the Holy Spirit. He was a man that was dependent on the Holy Spirit, dependent on God. And notice the work of the Spirit in his life. It says that the Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died, and also that the Spirit moved him or led him to the temple on the same day that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were there, he followed the Spirit's leading. And so in the midst of a time when finding a true follower of God was was difficult, during a a time period in Israel's history when life was dark and dim, we find here a true believer, a true Spirit-filled person, a true follower of the Lord named Simeon. And it's through his story, through Simeon's brief encounter, which we're about to see, with Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and through his upcoming song and prophecy that I want to give you a few lessons on hope this Christmas. I want to show you from Simeon's story A few lessons on hope. And we're going to start with the first lesson that I want to talk about this morning, this Christmas, which is this. Number one, the need for hope. We learn the need for hope. Again, we have this, this godly man here. He's righteous, he's devout, full of the Spirit. The Spirit's on him, he's living for God, and what does it say about him? Look again at verse Twenty-five. This is key to his story. It says about him that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the consolation, looking for the help, looking for, waiting for the comfort of Israel. In other words, Simeon had a hope for the coming Messiah. He had a hope For the coming of the king who would bring the promised kingdom, the one who would fulfill all of the promises of the Old Testament. He was anticipating this arrival with hope. He knew this is what he needed. He knew this is what he needed. He needed this hope to experience true comfort and peace in his life. And notice this wasn't just personal. He's actually looking for something bigger than that. He was looking for, for national deliverance. He was looking for the one who would and who could deliver people, deliver his nation, the Israelites, from their sin and from their oppression. So here is this, again, this just and righteous man. A man cautious and careful with the law of God. who was in right standing with God. And yet, and yet, he realized that he was still in need of greater hope. He was still in need of true hope. He knew that he needed a deliverer, a comforter, one who could forgive and once and for all cleanse people from their sin by giving them a new heart. Simeon was waiting and looking. For hope, And surely he had in mind Isaiah chapter 40 here, verse 1, which says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. There is a time coming when pain will end and sin will be reconciled. That's what Isaiah says here, and that's what the people were looking for. A comforter, a deliverer, a king, a savior, and that's certainly on Simeon's heart. Simeon is waiting for hope. He knew he and his people needed hope. And his waiting for hope tells us of our need for hope, our need for true hope, our need for a Savior. So we're introduced to this God-fearing man who is waiting for hope. And then look what happens, starting again in verse 27. It says this, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying this, and this is Simeon's song here. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light For revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon follows the spirits leading to the temple. And we don't know how they actually meet each other. And we don't know all that was said between them. Maybe Mary told Simeon all about her encounter with Gabriel uh, maybe she she told him about how everyone came to see this baby Jesus in the manger. We aren't sure. But whatever she said and whatever was said, we see the result here. We see Simeon pick up Jesus and he is so overwhelmed that he begins to worship. He begins to praise God. He sings. And this encounter gives us our, our second lesson on Hope, number two, number two. Hope is a person. We see this from Simeon's song. Hope is a person. As Simeon is is holding Jesus in his in his arms, notice again what he says. He says, "For my eyes have seen your salvation." Or verse thirty one, "My eyes have seen a light." Simeon is is holding Jesus. He's gazing upon this baby and he, and he wells up in praise. He says, I've seen salvation. I'm looking at salvation, Lord. I'm looking at the light. This baby is the true hope. This Jesus is peace. He's the one that I've been waiting for. My eyes have now seen the comforter, the consolation of Israel that was promised to me and to my people. That's what this is saying here. And so let's understand, it's so important for us to understand, hope is not an idea. Hope is not a political ideology. It's not a philosophy. Hope is not a state of mind. Hope is not found in a job or in money or in our status or for those of us who are living in 2020, hope is not found in a vaccine. Hope is a person. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Great Comforter, Back to Isaiah 40 verse 11 says this about the Savior, says this about the hope that's coming to the earth. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's the comfort that is coming. He is the hope of the world because he himself is hope. Simeon looked at salvation that day. He gazed upon salvation that day. He looked at the light. He looked at the one that God the Father sent, the Savior, fully God, fully man, perfect in all of his ways, and again, born under the law. And why? Why? Why was he born under the law? Why was he born fully God, fully man. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, he writes this to us in Galatians chapter 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law, which we're seeing here in this account of Simeon, Mary and Joseph going to the temple. Why? Why? to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus was perfect. And even as a baby, he kept the law perfectly so that he could redeem people, rescue people, be the perfect sacrifice for our sins that God required to take our curse this is the Jesus that Simeon sees. Soul full of grace. Soul full of love. And that caused Simeon to worship. We needed true hope. And hope came as a person. Jesus Christ. Third, we see from Simeon's song another lesson of hope. And that is that hope is available. Hope is available Look with me at verse thirty-two. Simeon says, His eyes have seen salvation, and then a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Honestly, uh, this this declaration here is, is earth shattering. It's astonishing, actually. Uh, in the next verse that follows this, we actually read this, that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were astonished by all of this. Probably couldn't wrap their their minds around any of this story, really. But I believe mostly that they were marveling and astonished by these words from Simeon in verse 32 right here. You see, we know that the Jews believed... The Jewish people, the Israelites, they believed that the Messiah would come and be their Savior and establish a kingdom for them to rule over the pagan Gentile world. But now here, this says that God has brought a Savior to the world in the presence of all peoples to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, as well as the glory of Israel. And again, for most Israelites, this would have been shocking. Um, They strongly disliked non-Jewish people, strongly disliked Gentiles, particularly because of what Gentiles believed and what they stood for. They were anti-God and anti-Scripture. And we also know that throughout Israel's history, Numerous Gentile nations came against the Israelites, corrupted them, brought idols into their nation, conquered them, and much, much, much more. But here, Simeon cries out that the one that he is holding will be called a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles, which simply means that Jesus had come to save the world to save all nations all peoples he's saying here the good news of the gospel the news of hope would be for all and while the israelites might not have seen this while even devout jews like joseph and mary might have been amazed might have been might have been marveling over this certainly we know that this was always On God's heart. It was always God's plan. Even in the famous prophecy that we regularly use for Christmas, we actually read it to start our service this morning in Isaiah 9. It tells us that to us a child is born, to us a son is given. But before that, we read some other verses. We see the one who is coming. He's going to go to the Galilee of the nations, it says in the beginning of Isaiah 9, that he's going to those who walk in darkness. He's coming for those who walk in darkness, and they will see a great light. That those who live in a dark land, that's referring to the Gentiles, the light will shine on them. And this is the exact language that Simeon uses in our text today in Luke 2. A light is coming to the nations to rescue and save the nations. He is hope and peace for the whole world. So this blew Mary and Joseph's minds. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. That this child before them, this promised child had come to reconcile and redeem people from every ethnic group, every tribe, and every tongue on the face of the earth. God's grace mercy, forgiveness, the promise of new life in him. It's an announcement for the whole world. Well, moving forward, we see another lesson uh, on hope here, another lesson on hope, and that is this. Number four, hope has a cost. Hope has a cost. After Simeon's song, things actually shift quite a bit. They change quite a bit because what we see is Simeon go from praising, from singing, from worshiping. He moves over to then start to prophesy. He prophesies here from singing to prophesying. Look what it says in verse 34 through 35. It says this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon affirms Mary and Joseph here. He blesses them in that uh, they are the most favored by God. That's what he's saying there. He blesses them. But then he turns specifically to Mary. And essentially what he tells her is this. Your son, your child, this child is destined to divide the nations. Yes, he's going to raise up many people. Yes, for many, he will be, he will become the rock of their salvation. But for others, he is going to be a rock of offense. He's going to become a stone of stumbling to them. And there will be no middle ground with him. Jesus is marking the end of neutrality with God. Let me try to make this really simple for you today. Jesus came... To bring life, but also to bring death. You're either for him or you're against him. And there is no in-between. A line is drawn in the sand here. You are either a person of hope or you are hopeless. You either accept Jesus as Savior or you reject him. And to Mary, specifically, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And of course, we know that Jesus needed to become Mary's Savior as well. And Mary, Mary would watch her son Jesus, witness her son Jesus be hated, be mocked, be spit on, and she would even watch her son be tortured, and crucified. You see, hope isn't free. Hope has a cost. Jesus had to give up his own life. He had to die in our place for our sins so that we could have hope. And if we want hope, if you want hope today, it's going to cost something from you and I as well. Actually, it's going to cost our very own lives. We're going to, we are called, actually, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want hope and life in him, we're called to give up everything, to die to ourselves and to die to our sins. And when we follow him, we will struggle, we will face heartache and troubles of many kinds, But in exchange, the promise is this, that we will get everything because we will get Jesus, which means we get hope. And then a final point I want to make about hope from Simeon's story this Christmas. Number five, hope needs to be embraced. Hope needs to be embraced. What we see here from Simeon is on that day, it was ultimately his his trust and his faith that led him to go to the temple. But more than that, it was his trust and his faith that led him, that caused him to pick up Jesus. Again, we don't know the conversation that took place between Mary, Joseph, and Simeon. All we know is that Simeon was faithfully waiting, anticipating hope because he knew that he needed hope. And when he encountered Jesus, he picked him up and he praised God. That day, Simeon embraced Jesus by faith, pressed that baby to his Chest maybe kissed his cheeks. And one can only imagine what kind of joy flooded his heart that day. What kind of thrill came over him as he realizes that all God's promises had come to pass and that he was holding in his hands the Savior of the world. That day, Simeon believed. He had faith. He chose to embrace hope that day, to cling on to Jesus Christ and to worship God. And so let me ask you, let me ask you today, how are you responding to Advent? How are you responding to the good news of Jesus' arrival? Let me encourage you today to let go of yourself to let go of your sin and to embrace Jesus. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. You need to embrace him. So embrace hope. Experience hope today because nothing else will leave you satisfied and only in Jesus is true hope found. And you know what's amazing? You know what's amazing When you choose to do that, if you choose to hold on to Jesus, to cling to him, to embrace him as Lord and Savior, the promise is that he, he, the Savior God, the one who arrived, the one who came, Jesus will hold on to you. Jesus will embrace you. So let me end by saying this. Today, a lot might seem dim. A lot might seem dark. Maybe this year has just been too much for you. You're tired, you're weary. Some of you have been in a season of waiting. Others of you are you're dealing. You're, you're struggling with fear, with doubt, with anxiety. Perhaps you're in a season, and you have been for a long time, of of deep depression, as I once was. You need to know today there is hope. Hope has come. Hope is coming again. And hope has a name Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He holds eternity in His hand. He is the Prince of Peace, the Sovereign Lord, the Light of the World, our salvation. So have hope, embrace hope, be a person of hope, and extend hope to all those who are in need. Amen? Let me pray for you.